Welcome to the Rock Podcast. Here in session six of our Answers in Genesis conference, Dr. Mitchell brings the message entitled Worshiping the Creator God. Okay, we're going to get started here. Wow, that was quick. You got really quiet. I'm kind of making me nervous. We're going to talk about something different during this session. We're going to talk about worship. And people go, wait a minute, this is a creation conference. We're talking about chimp DNA and dinosaurs and rocks and supernovas and DNA and all that kind of stuff. And those things are important. What does the book of Genesis have to do with worship? The answer, everything. What do we gather in God's house to do? Right answer. Who do we gather to worship? We gather to worship God. Now... If we're going to gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ and raise our hearts and our minds and our voices and praise and worship to this God, does it make sense that we would want to know something about this God? No? You didn't sound convincing. Okay, work with me here. I mean, I thought, you shouldn't have to think about that, okay? We really would want to know something about this God that we worship. Now, how does God reveal himself to us? Through his word? Wait a minute. I'm, I'm confused here. You're telling me I can read the Bible and find out characteristics and attributes of the God we serve? Well, who'd have guessed that? John 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. It says all things were made by him. What does all mean? I mean to all. This is not a hard word. Work with me. If you have to go like that, you've thought it too. You know. All means all. Hmm. That's curious. All things were made by him. Well, maybe that's not what it means. Let's move on. Colossians 1. For by him were all things, what? Created. That are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether it be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things consist. All things were created by him. What does all mean again? All. All things were created by him. So we gather together to worship this God who claims to be the one who created all things. Which is curious, because most Christians I know accept evolution. And if evolution's true, could God have really created all things? Say, no, work with me here. I know it's late on a Monday night. But God said he created all things. But you know what most people believe? The cosmos is all that is or ever was or ever will be. The vast majority of people in churches around the world have been taught to think like the world. They've been evolutionized. And I know that for a fact because I was. Like I said, for 15 years, I was a staunch evolutionist. And let me tell you what, I tripped over lots of things we're going to be talking about during this session. See, the problem is we're here to influence the world. The problem is, in so many cases, they've influenced us. 
God says he's the one who created all things. You know what the world says? First there was nothing, then it exploded. And that's called science. I, I, I admit, first there was nothing, then it exploded. Tomorrow about 2 o'clock, you're really, it's, it's going to come to you. You say, I got it, okay? First there was nothing, then it exploded. But you know what most, most Christians say? Well, God did that. As long as God did it, it's okay, right? But guess what? If the Big Bang's true, you know what else is true? That's true. And that's true. So if the Big Bang, if the, if the world's view of origins is right, then God could not have been the one who created all things. Because, you know, God used the Big Bang. No, he didn't. You know why? Because that's not what he said he did. And if the Big Bang's true, we're just the result of chemicals bumping together over millions of years. And again, if the Big Bang's true, that's true. What is man? Boy, I've got a collection of really interesting answers to that question. You know, in our great, our, our, our hallowed halls of academia, they struggle with this. The, the philosophers and the sociologists and the anthropologists struggle with this. And there's just some amazing answers to the question, what is man? And see, these philosophers and scientists know the answer to this because they know that man, at the end of the day, is just the result of chemical reactions. We are just a curious accident in a backwater. It gets better. We are just a bit of slime on the planet. I've got a quote from an evolutionist in my files at my office that basically says this, man is just rearranged pond scum. Boy, that guy must have fun when he gets out of bed every day. Hell, I'm just rearranged pond scum. Here's one of my favorites. We are a fortuitous cosmic afterthought, a tiny little twig on the enormously arborescent bush of life. Now, I liked that one. I told my office, oh, that's really cool. Man, it's just this little twig on, this, on the bush of life. Honey, that really sounds, you know, I, you know, that sounds poetic. She said, Tommy, it just means we're rearranged pond scum. See, the scientists and philosophers struggle with this. If we're just rearranged pond scum, we, it, it, man's not really special. This is all we are. We're just a bit of slime on the planet. And Richard Dawkins said this. We live in a universe which has no design, no purpose, no evil, and no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Now, he must be a blast to have a pizza with, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, about the second slice of pepperoni, you'll be slitting your own wrist. I mean, how does this man get out of bed in the morning? We live in a world that has nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. I call him Mr. Cheerful. <laughs> There's a large group of people who are simply uncomfortable with accepting evolution because it leads to what they perceive as a moral vacuum in which their best impulses have no basis in nature. Here's Dawkins again. All I can say is that's just tough. We have to face up to the truth. You're just a bit of slime on the planet, and the best you can do is live in a world with nothing but blind, pitiless indifference, and then you're going to die and be dead, and nobody's ever going to know you're here. That's his philosophy of life. But he spends his morning, noon, and night hating Christians. If we're just going to die and be dead, and nobody's ever going to know we were here, why does he care? Because he's fighting God. That's exactly... He's not mad at me and you. He's not mad at answers in Genesis. He's not mad at Ken Ham. He's not mad at Tommy. He's mad at God. Because he lives in a world that's nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. But if he's just the result of chemical reactions over millions of years, you know what? He's exactly right. And God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. 
Let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We are not just rearranged pond scum. We're made in the image of the living God. But, you know, if we come to church and we raise our hearts and our minds and our voices in worship and praise to the God who used evolution, we've got a problem. Because if we're the result of chemical reactions over millions of years, how can we be made in God's image? He didn't make us. Everything made itself. You know what it comes down to? And this is harsh, but it's the truth. If evolution's true, you know what God is? He's a liar. And I say that with all deference and understanding to, to where I am right now. I say that with fear and trepidation. But I'm just going to tell you, if the world is right, God's a liar. Because he said he's the creator. He's the one who created all things. He's the one who created all things. And if the world's right, everything created itself. Genesis 1-1, in the very first verse, in the very first verse, in the beginning, God what? Created, created the heaven and the earth. Now, I just want to ask you, how hard is that? In the very first verse, there's an attribute of himself that God wants us to understand. He's going, he's going to reveal this to us. This is, this is who I am. I'm the one who created the heaven and the earth. And if that's not true, if that is not absolutely true, I want you to tell me how I know that stone rolled away. I tell you, I have a lot of young people. We do a lot of youth conferences. And I've had a lot of young people come to me with their Bibles open and this look of sort of bewilderment on their face. And they come up and they say, Dr. Tommy, I'm just, I'm, I don't mean to be disrespectful. I really don't, but I'm struggling with this. You can just tell their hearts just, just aching over this issue. They're, just, they're trying to figure it out. And they just say, I'm, I'm, I don't, I'm not trying to argue with you. Or, or you know, my pastor said this. I, but... Tell me if I'm wrong. Can you just answer a question for me? I go, yeah, brother, just tell, what, what you got? I can tell your heart. Tell me what's wrong. He said, if Genesis 1-1 isn't true, why can I, how can I believe John 3-16? And I go, young man, you just figured it out. You got it exact. Well, my pastor says it's just all fable, fairy tale. I said, young man, my pastor told me that in the past too. And I struggle with it. But that's what I kept tripping over myself. If God's word isn't true in the very first verse, why should I believe John 3-16? These young people see this disconnect, but they're told we can somehow take man's ideas and use it to reinterpret the Word of God. And if that's the case, then the God we serve is a liar. These young people are going, I'm trying to make Scripture mean something, but if it doesn't mean truth here, why is it true over here? They get it. They get it. was um, talking to a group of pastors at the museum a few months ago. We'd given them a tour and kind of shown about our ministry, and they were, um, you know, just kind of, for most of it, the first time they'd seen the museum, they were just asking tons of questions. It was a great day. But we got to the end of the day, and we were just sort of talking to them as they were leaving. And one of the guys came up to me, and he said, Well, Tommy, that's, you know, it's a nice enough museum, but you wasted all these millions of dollars. And he said, Nobody really cares about this. And I said, Well, you're the first person I've heard lately say that, because pretty much everything over the years, everybody cares about this. But nonetheless, uh, well, it just doesn't matter because, you know, you've wasted all this money on this stuff about origins and this stuff about Genesis. It just it doesn't matter what you believe about this. I mean, you can maybe make some scientific point here or there, but at the end of the day, it just doesn't matter. Why are you spending all your time worrying about this? It just doesn't matter. And I said, Well, Pastor, to 
lots of people it matters because it's foundational. I mean, you know, did, did you not grasp anything we were teaching? Well, yeah, I understand you sort of made this biblical case, but I just tell my people at my church they can believe anything they want to about Genesis. And I said, really? And that this is not uncommon. I'm just relating one specific conversation. He said, I just tell them they can believe anything they want to about Genesis. And I said, well, that's fascinating. Um, so you tell them that they can believe anything. That, so, so if they believe in the millions of years or they believe in the gap theory or they believe in theistic evolution or if they believe in progressive they, all, any of those are fine because nobody really cares. It just doesn't affect anything. It doesn't affect the core part of my ministry. And I said, well, I take it the core part of your ministry is the gospel. He said, absolutely. I said, so what do your people believe about the gospel? Oh, they've got to believe that. I said, okay, so they can believe anything they want to about Genesis, but they've got to believe the gospel. He said, yeah, that's pretty much it. I said, on whose authority? He said, mine. And, and I, said, so I, I, I said, Pastor, I think, she might, I think I made just sound like a mini stroke here. Let me, let me ask you again. Um, I, said, I said, you tell them they believe anything they want to about Genesis, but they've but they got to believe the gospel because you say so. Well, I'm their pastor, and I tell them what to believe about the Bible, and I'm the one who studied theology, and, I'm the, and, I, and it's like me, 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 and I. And I was kind of going, okay, I got it. I said, so I, was, I'm gonna, so I get this straight. You tell them they can believe anything they want to over here, but they have to believe this on your authority. He said, absolutely. I said, let's, let's drive to your church Sunday morning. Can I go with you? He said, yeah, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to ask the first 12-year-old boy we come into contact with if he believes that nonsense. I said, do, you, do, your, did you, do your ministerial staff, oh, they're on board with it. Well, nobody, none of the adults in the church you know, have had any complaints. They, they trust my judgment about the Bible. I said, I promise you, young people aren't. Your young people are looking at you like you got three eyeballs. Because if your young people are reading the Bible, they know that's nonsense. But see, that's, where, that's what I hear all the time. You're supposed to believe this. You're supposed to reinterpret this because I say so. The young people go, wait a minute. If Genesis isn't history, why are the Gospels history? The young people get it. How come the adults don't? How come the pastors don't? And again, if evolution's true, the God we serve is a liar. Becomes clear now the whole justification of Jesus' life and death is predicated on the existence of Adam and the forbidden fruit he and Eve ate. Without the original sin, who needs to be redeemed? Without Adam's fall into a life of constant sin, terminated by death, what purpose is there to Christianity? None. Our young people get it. You know who else gets it? The world gets it. The world says, if evolution's true, you know, why'd your Jesus go to the cross? What's the purpose of all this? You're just rearranged pond scum. You know, the humanists and the atheists at Christmas time have similar websites. One of the things they did a couple years ago, they had a big website that said, you know it's a myth, you don't need a savior. You know, you know that evolution's true. You know the Big Bang's true. You know science has proved the Bible's wrong, that the, that the earth is billions of years old. The science has proved it's true. Science has proven evolution. And if evolution's true, you, we evolve from ape-like creatures. And if we evolve from ape-like creatures, there's no Adam and Eve. There's no mythical Garden of Eden. There's no original sin. And if those things are true, you don't need a savior. You know it's a myth. How come the secularists, the humanists recognize this and we've got so many people in the church eager to, to accept and adapt and somehow reinterpret the word of God based on basically a godless philosophy? The world knows these things don't go together. Jesus Christ is the last Adam. If there's no first Adam, that makes no sense. And I tell you, I struggle so hard with, with some people who just seem intent on twisting God's word out of all recognizable form. And you know something? God knew it was coming. And God's word, we read this. If I've told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? You know, we struggle so hard to try to understand, you know, God's grace and God's love and justification and sanctification. I mean, and we should. We should 
try as much as we can as fallible human beings to understand those things. But we struggle with the heavenly things. And, and like God said, you don't get the simple stuff. I told you I created in six days. I told you again in Exodus, in case you didn't read it in Genesis. I created in six days. You don't get the easy stuff and you want to know the hard stuff? Why don't you learn to walk before you run? See, we twist it at an all-recognizable form. Again, I was at the museum a couple years ago, and I uh, spoke at one of our theaters, and I was at the bookstore talking to our museum guests and just having a great time. And I could, there was this one young man off to the side, and I thought, I just got a bad feeling. This, 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 this day's not going to end well. Well, he finally made his way up to the front of the line, and I was right. My day didn't end well. He said, Dr. Michel, I just want you to know you are totally incorrect about the Genesis. This kid was from France. And I was just trying to imagine myself outside this conversation, watching the guy from France and Gomer Pyle talk theology. (laughs) You know, even I would have loved to have had this on videotape. I'm thinking, this has got to be just like the most bizarre you know, I thought like maybe I was on a TV show or something. And he said, well, Dr. Mitchell, you are just wrong as you can be about the Genesis. And I said, excuse me? Well, you are very wrong about the millions of years. And you think the earth is only very young. And the earth is obviously billions of years old. And you just do not understand the theology. You do not really understand the science. It's apparent you do not understand the theology behind this. You are just completely wrong. And you are leading so many people astray. You are just completely wrong about the Genesis. And I said, well, young man, exactly how am I wrong about the Genesis? He said, well, you do not understand the theology. I said, did you, have you not gone through the museum? Have you not heard? Have we not shown you what God's word? Yes, we know. You're taking the passages out of context. You really need to understand a more deep uh, meaning of the theology. I have this friend in Paris who's written this very, very eloquent idea about it. He can show you completely how the Genesis interpretation you have is completely incorrect, and you just do not at all understand the Genesis. You must believe in the millions of years in evolution because it's obviously consistent with Scripture. You just do not understand it. You need to understand this wonderful new idea about theology. Well, I had a couple of responses I didn't use because Ken says we can't use the word pinhead in, uh, when, when, when we talk to people. We can think it, but we just can't say it. Um, I came close that day, but I was thinking, okay, how do I do this? And I said, well, okay, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I, would you please explain to me what this new theory is, you know, why I what I don't understand about the Genesis. And he says, well, Dr. Mitchell, you, just, you must understand this theory. It's very, very involved, and it's very advanced theological theory, and it would take me a very long time, perhaps a couple of hours, to explain this to you. And you, I doubt you, since you do not really understand the theology that well anyway. I doubt you'd really understand it because you are totally deceiving and leading people astray. You're totally wrong about the Genesis, and it would take me far too long to explain this theory to you. It's very advanced, and you, we just don't have time to, to, to deal with it. And I said, young man, the theory's wrong. He said, what do you mean? I said, you are completely wrong about the Genesis. <laughs> he said, what do you mean? I said, simply this. If you can't give me the gist, the core, the, the, the cliff notes, basic idea of this in 30 seconds, it's wrong. If it's going to take you two hours to twist God's word at a all recognizable form, it's wrong. I don't have to hear it. I don't have to read it. I'm standing on the word of God. And I understand the Genesis. But see, my point was, and we deal with this kind of stuff all the time. This guy was going to come in and give me this two, he said it's going to take him two hours to dissect and reinterpret what God's word plainly directly tells us to make it fit man's idea. I don't need that. It's not hard. The earthly things are, I created in six days. That's about as simple as it gets. And if it's going to take you two hours to tell me why God's word doesn't mean what it directly plainly says, you know. I can either talk to him or go get a pizza. Guess which one I'm going to do? 
Because every day I read about the Genesis. <laughs> who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. And folks, I'm all for taking care of the earth and being environmentally friendly and all that. But the things, we've got so many Christians now that are more worried about what was created than the one who did the creating. And that's a problem. And again, please don't get me wrong. I mean, I think we need to be good stewards, you know, that God's given us dominion. I think we need to take care of the earth and do environmental. And I'm all for, you know, just anything we can do to keep our environment clean. Please do not misunderstand me. But I've talked to Christians who are, who are way more concerned about how much their church recycles as far as bottles and stuff. And, you know, we put solar panels on the roof and we do this and we recycle this and we recycle that. And all the, you know, the, the church staff, they all drive Priuses or whatever and, you know... <laughs> Which, I'm from Tennessee. I don't want to drive a car that goes But But I'm, I'm okay if you do. I'm okay if you do. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we need to be good stewards. But I've run into so many people that go to church and church staff from churches like that. They are more concerned with the created than the creator. They'll read me how many bottles have been recycled, how, many, how much paper has been recycled, how much they recycle this and recycle. And there have been a baptism in that church in five years. They're more, they're more concerned with recycling bottles than recycling souls. And when you lose your focus, that's a problem. And so many Christians in this day and age have lost their focus. They come together and we worship this God, and he's the God of evolution. Wow. That's not what he said he is. There's a disconnect. Ecclesiastes 12. Remember now, there's that word again. Creator. Do you think God thinks that's important? Isaiah, for thus saith the Lord that created the heavens. Created the heavens? Wow. That keeps coming up. But we've got two accounts of origins. Man's account and God's account. They do not agree. If one's right, the other's what? And if man's right, God's a what? He's a liar. It's plainly, it's just directly that simple. And the question I have for you is this. If man's ideas are true, if man's view of origins is true, what do we need God for? Because if everything created itself, we're just hanging out watching dinosaur videos tonight. There's really no reason to be here. The God I serve is not a lie. The God I serve, the God I worship, is the one who created all things. Now, the way we teach is the framework of biblical history we use at the Creation Museum. We call it the seven seas of history. Creation, corruption, catastrophe, confusion, Christ's cross, consummation. And as much as we're able to, in a lost and dying world, we need to be preaching Christ and the cross. You really and truly can't understand that message unless you understand the first four C's. If you don't understand creation, corruption, catastrophe, confusion, I submit you truly cannot understand the message of the cross. Because we can't be saved apart from history. You know where the gospel message begins? It begins in Genesis. We're so anxious to share the good news with people, and most people don't know there's any bad news. Like we said yesterday, most people out in the world think they're good. The bad news is we're lost. We need to be saved from our sin. Christ provides that salvation. There's a disconnect. If evolution's true, why are we lost? We're just the result of chemical reactions over millions of years. Where's the basis for the message? And I'm going to show you how this works. Acts chapter 2. Peter's preaching. When Peter was preaching in Acts chapter 2, did many come to Christ? 
Yeah, he was very successful. Many came to Christ. Who was he preaching to? The Jews. Did the Jews have a clue? Sort of. Yes and no. I mean, when I mean that, they had sort of a biblical basis. I mean, you know, they, they, they had the synagogues, they had the scrolls. They understood and acknowledged God as creator, that man's sin brought death and corruption. They understood they needed a savior. They were looking forward to the Messiah. That's where they didn't have a clue. That's where so many of them missed it. But they had a basis to understand the message. You know, again, if you want to call it a biblical foundation or a biblical basis, they at least had a cultural understanding, a basis to understand that they were sinners. They needed a Savior. And I'll give you an example. John chapter 4. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Who is this woman? Woman at the well. Now, she was president of the local PTA, right? No. Does she bake cookies for the Girl Scouts? Okay. Is it safe to say that this woman had some significant spiritual difficulties in her life? I'm trying to be kind. Look what this woman said. I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. How did she know that? I don't think she was hanging out at the synagogue every week. In this spiritual condition, how did this woman know that? Well, whether it was her family or her culture, she had a basis to understand it, you know, from her childhood or whatever. She understood, I know that Messiah's coming. When he comes, he's going to tell us all things. Even in this condition, she knew that Messiah was coming. Look what she said later. Come, see a man which told me all things ever I did. Is not this the Christ? She had a basis to understand. So let's keep going. Acts 17. Paul's preaching. When Paul preached, was he very successful? Did many come to Christ? Nope. Not compared to Peter. Uh, not, didn't, didn't work out so well for Paul. Who was Paul preaching to? Greeks. Did they have a clue? Not a single one. Like we say back home, bless their hearts. God love them. They just didn't have a clue. Okay, your name's what? Paul, hey guys, come on over. This guy's Paul is going to tell us about this God. Oh, you're going to tell us about your God? Excellent. We love to hear about God. You're going to tell us about this? Come on, guys, come on. Hurry up. He can't be standing here all day. He's going to tell us about this God. Okay, now, don't start. They're going to be here in a minute. But before they get here, we got this rack of gods over here. And what we're going to do, where do you want your God? You want them on second or third shelf? Th- third shelf up there where we can see them. Okay, let's move these around. Is this a good enough spot for your God? We'll put your God right here with these other gods. Hey, guys, come on over. He's going to tell us about this God. Hurry up. Come on. Come on. He's going to put this God right here. Is this a good enough place? your God you know what Paul said uh-uh you don't get it I'm not talking about your pantheon I'm talking about the creator God the one who created all things I was um, speaking in a seminary a couple of years ago and I don't know how it came up but this seminary professor looked at me just as serious and he said Tommy you know Paul got it wrong and I, again, I thought I had another mini stroke. <laughs> I said, I don't think I quite grasped what you said there, brother. He said, Paul got it wrong. Now, you know what I did? I went. Because I knew the lightning bolt wasn't going to hit me. 
but I didn't want to be in the splash zone, okay, because my wife gets really upset if I get stuff on my tie, and she's got to use shout on it and everything, and it's just ugly. But this hotshot seminary guy said, Tommy, Paul got it wrong. And I just thought, my heavens, I thought I'd heard it all. I said, what are you talking about? He said, Paul wasted his time. He needed to be bold and, pe- and preach like Peter. You can't say that very fast. <laughs> You can't. I've tried. I've been doing it for years. You can't do it. Anyway, you need to be bold and preach like Peter. Look, when Peter preached, he was bold. He just preached Christ. Look at all those people that came to Christ. All those people just got saved. It was great. Paul got it wrong. He wasted his time doing all this intellectual stuff. Paul got it wrong. You know, Paul was very successful. You know why? He had a much harder job. He was preaching to people that did not have a clue. They didn't have a basis to understand the message. You know what he had to do? He had to go back to the beginning and lay that foundation. I'm talking about the one true God, the one, the creator God, the one who created all things. He had to give them a basis to understand. Few came to Christ compared to Peter, but others wanted to hear more. But this is not one of your pantheon of gods. You know the problem we've got in our world today? That's where our culture is. You know, this is why we've always spread the gospel in the past. Things are getting worse. What's the problem? The problem is this. Our culture's changed. I mean, our culture's no longer like the Jews. I I mean, it's a type. Because there was a time in the past that our culture acknowledged the Bible as as authoritative as, you know, know, biblical morality. That's where it came from, the Bible. Our our country's built on Christian principles, if you will. And I I really haven't had a chance to share my testimony with with you, but I'll, I'll just tell you this. I did not grow up in a Christian home. I wasn't saved until I was 17. I will share a praise with you. Five years ago at age 76, my father got saved. But see, when I was young, you know, Sunday was just a day that some of my friends went to church. They went to this building with a steeple on it, and they sang songs with these and thous in it. And then they left church and acted like the rest of us the rest of the week. I couldn't really figure out what this Christianity thing was about. But nonetheless, when I was, say, in the third grade, if you'd have told me, Tommy, that's sinful, you know what I'd have done? Oh, Sorry. I was no big theologian, but if you told me something was sinful back in those days, I understood it was bad. In our culture today, you tell a young person something sinful, they go, hey, I got away with something else. But it's just the way our culture looks at things. These haven't been on lately, and I don't watch a lot of TV because when I'm at home, I've got other things to do. But sometimes when I'm traveling, I'll be watching Sports Center or something just, you know, when I'm traveling. You remember those commercials about Las Vegas? Let what happens here stay here. You know, you've got this woman with a drink, and she's got, like, far too little on, and she's in the limit, and she gets out, and she's on the Okay, honey, mommy will be home tomorrow. And then the caption comes on and says, Las Vegas, let what happens here stay here. That's where our culture is. Sin is something cool, whatever you can get away with. And not only are those commercials just horrific, that's something that the Chamber of Commerce of that area felt like was appropriate for their, yeah, come to our, our town, send up a storm, spend a lot of money. We won't tell anybody. Just let it stay here. You know any place you can go and send up a storm, God doesn't know where you are? <laughs> Think about that. I know when we go on our Grand Canyon rafting trips, uh, you know, we fly into Las Vegas, and then we fly out to the Grand Canyon. We have a great time. You need to go sometime if you get a chance. But the thing that's always impressed me is when I've flown back out of Las Vegas, and I haven't been there in a couple of years, but you, you, you go through security on the back wall of Las Vegas and let what happens here stay here. When I was young, there's no possibility of any chamber of commerce in the country even considering that. 
Now it's send something cool. Our culture's changed. And we're doing things the same way. We're going out and preaching the good news of the gospel, and we should, but we're preaching it to a group of people that don't have a clue. And we're wondering why our efforts aren't successful. One of the problems is the vast majority of churches accept evolution. They don't worship the God as creator. They accept this idea that we're just rearranged pond scum. So you're going out, yeah, you're just rearranged pond scum. God used evolution. And somebody says, well, then why am I a sinner? You don't have an answer. Our culture has changed. Our society has changed, but the church has changed. We're doing things the same old way. We need to rethink how we do evangelism. We need to go out and lay that foundation. How many people have heard of New Tribes Missions? Love, I love missions. My da- oldest daughter, I have to tell you, praise, my oldest daughter is back home from Iraq. She's just spent the last seven weeks there. So my stress level has gone down quite a bit. Um, but my, my daughter has a degree in biblical languages and a degree in linguistics. She's been called to, to missions since she was five. That's all she's ever cared about. So I love missions and missionaries. New Tribes Mission, some most amazing people I've ever met in my life, they'll go out to some of the most isolated people groups in the world and just become part of the community, you know, whether they're farming or whatever they are. And, and, and they, some of these cultures don't have uh, written languages even. They'll, they'll codify the language and try to come up with a dictionary and try to help, you know, tr- uh, uh, translate the Bible to that language so these people will have God's word in their own language. And they've gone out and spent years and years and years with folks, and they'll disciple them, and they'll say, well, now, okay, anybody wants to come to Christ, give their life to Christ, come forward. And half the village comes forward. And these people go, Lord, thank you. You know, we've been here 18 years discipling and i mean look look at the harvest i mean look at these precious souls that have that have come to you tonight lord just thank you just give us the strength and the and and the ability to continue to disciple them and help them grow in your word and knowledge of you and as they start discipling these people they find that those people didn't have a clue what they just did they just came forward because their friends asked them to and new tribes they weren't interested in numbers they wanted people genuinely to come to know jesus christ as lord and savior so they would get back in their meetings and go what's the problem there's a disconnect what are we doing wrong and somebody said hey i got a rocket scientist idea here why don't we do it like god's word does it why don't we start from the beginning why don't we teach them about god being the creator and god created all things and there was a perfect sinless you know paradise and man's sin brought death why don't we lay that foundation to tell them the why's And when they did that, what they found is when people came forward, the conversions were genuine. That's where the the Firm Foundation's curriculum came from. See, they found that out over many years on the mission field. The problem is we're not talking about some isolated group in New Guinea. We're talking about the folks down the street. And see, we've got so many churches that have compromised in this area. You know, we worship a God that it's okay with God. Evolution's okay as long as God did it. Well, that's not what God said he did. So we need to get it right in our own hearts and our own minds. As we come together and worship, we need to understand exactly who we're worshiping. We need to know his characteristics and his attributes and give him honor and glory and praise for who he is because this is what, what he claims to be. This is who he claims to be. He's the one who created all things. You want to get your evangelism right? That's where it starts. Understanding just who it is we serve and what he did. Matthew 19, 4, and he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? What book do you read about the beginning in? You ought to have this one down by now. Genesis. He made them male and female after billions of years, right? No, he made them male and female in the beginning, from the, from the week of creation. But guess what? Evolution says male and female didn't come to much later. In one verse, Jesus Christ said, Evolution can't be true. My word's true from the very first verse. You know what I did for 15 years? 
That's what he said, but that's not what he meant. That's myth. It's allegory. I tried to allegorize this. Folks, it's directly what he said. When you understand, when you take God at his word, these things aren't a problem. They're a problem when you try to make them say things they don't mean. John 5, as you believe Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you believe not his writings, how shall you believe my words? What do we give Moses credit for writing from an earthly standpoint? First five books of the Bible, first of which is? God said, if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. Jesus, Jesus referred to Genesis as literal history on multiple occasions. If Jesus said it's true, it's true. That settles it. And because Genesis 1-1 is true, I can absolutely rely on this. Neither is there salvation in any other. But there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Folks, we go around the world teaching people about dinosaurs and DNA and rock layers and Noah's Ark and distant starlight and supernovas and sanctity of life and all the issues we deal with in our ministry. But ultimately, it comes down simply to this. It's about the cross of Jesus Christ. I'd ask everybody to stand. I have one more video, and then we are done. Elohim, the supreme God. El Olam, the everlasting God. Elohim Emet, the God of truth. El Shaddai, God Almighty. El Hakovod, the God of glory. El Hakodosh, the holy God. El Tzadik, the righteous God. Elohim Chaim, the living God. Yehovah Chatov, the good Lord. Emmanuel, God with us. Amen. people in place uh, lead us in worship which I was thinking of a time back uh, a few years now ago when I had hair I was at a barber and uh, there was a yeah your day's coming he had some kind of device uh, right there within reach and I grabbed it and I was playing with it and I turned it over and a little kid's voice came out of this as a recording and it said thank you God for making the world I said what was that and he goes that's my grandson just crazy thing uh, you, you, you turn this thing on you, you, you point it to somebody and it records whatever they say and so we were just playing around and, and we put it in front of my little grandson and, and the first thing that came out of his mouth was thank you God for making the world and I said oh is it a Christian family no that's the funny thing <laughs> nobody even believes in God in the family but we know the human soul at some level knows that we are not pond scum. We didn't uh, 
We didn't come out of a puddle. We were created by the living God. Romans chapter 1 kind of says that there's no such thing really as an atheist, right? He said, you can look around at God's created order and know a lot about him. His eternal nature, his qualities are are plainly seen. And then it says something very strange. It says, uh, for God has made it clear to them so that there is no excuse. Ah, so they may not know all of the facts, but there's a knowing, there's an innate knowing. And so when I'm sharing the gospel, and and by the way, this is a church that loves the word of God. And of course, we've invited you to be here, so (laughs) that's a given. Uh, We love the word of God. We love preaching the gospel as it is. We believe every word that uh, God has breathed out and we live by it. We're going down with the ship, amen? Amen. Because when you go down with the ship of absolute truth, you're raised again by the power and the glory of God. And so, Romans 1. How about uh, Psalm 19? The heavens declare the glory of God. The, the heavens are saying, there is a God. There is a God. There is a God. And so, we all know. We know. And what a privilege it is to be co-laborers with him to make him know to know God to be known by God and then he says hey would you work with me to bring my love and the knowledge of Christ to this world for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever simply believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life what an awesome privilege amen well we're going to worship the Lord I'll come back and we'll close in prayer You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.